0: Childhood experiences have made me who I am and who I want to be. Well, the first time that somebody called me an entrepreneur, I didn't know what the word meant. I'd been sick and tired of being patronised as a Jew. I was sick and tired of being patronised as a woman.
1: Hi, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the podcast in partnership with Najahi Events with the incredible Dame Stephanie Shirley. Let me just give you a little bit of a bio on this incredible human being. She's a businesswoman, a technology pioneer, and a philanthropist. Currently, she's aged 89, so she's in her 90th year. She had a long career championing women in the workplace. She was born in Germany and arrived in England when she was five years old as an unaccompanied child refugee at the start of the Second World War. She was determined to lead a life worth saving. In 1962, she started a software business from her dining table, which grew to employ 8,500 people and was ultimately valued at $3 billion. In the beginning of her career, she used the pen name Steve to ensure she was taken seriously by her male counterparts. She pioneered empowering women in the workplace by allowing them to work from home, something unheard of in the 1960s. Motivated to share the rewards of her success with a society that had extended such great generosity to her as a child, she decided to give away her wealth. Dame Stephanie's late son, Giles, was severely autistic and has been the inspiration behind her philanthropic work in the field of autism. She also supports the technology industry that created her fortune. So far, she's given away $70 million. So a substantial amount of money, all for the good of others. And her book, Let It Go, tells the story of her journey and allows us into the memoirs of quite an incredible human being. I'm really honoured, really honoured and delighted to say, cue the music for the incredible Dame Stephanie Shirley. And lastly, thank you to Najahi Events, who have been sponsoring us now on the podcast for over a year. Najahi bring motivational speakers to the region to help inspire, educate and motivate you to achieve better success and live a better life. Dame Stephanie Shirley, it's an absolute honour to have you here. Thank you so much for making the time to come and spend with us here today at the podcast.
0: It's a great pleasure to be here and I'm impressed by your surroundings here because I know you're not based here you just rent this lovely lovely studio it is nice here isn't it it? it's nice yes
1: I I, I looked at um, 10 studios in London before we settled on this one and uh, the location of this one plus the professionalism of the team here has always been fantastic so uh, thumbs up from us too
0: yeah when I've worked around the world uh, I've often taken office premises that are like this. You just hire them by the day or sometimes even by the half day. Yes. And and you, you have wonderful, impressive background for some important interview that you want to do. I think that you really have
1: to make it look nice and good yes. and smart, don't you? Yes. Imagine if you'd come into the back of a, a mobile home or a caravan well, of course or something. The, the
0: approach of this wonderful, fantastic drive as you come up here is very impressive.
1: Oh, well, there you go. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: so... An entrepreneur, a businesswoman, and somebody that thought much bigger than business with causes that mattered a lot to you over the years. Now, we have some synergies, even though you may not know them, because autism is very close to my heart as well. I did not know that. Uh, My sister has Asperger's, and so we've had her challenges over the years. I also work with an autism charity in the UAE, which I care about very much. So we have a lot to talk about there, Okay, but also women in business, because my business is predominantly are run by women. And they're run by women. That's
0: the creative side. They're just better. Yes.
1: They're at least the women that I have working for my organisations. And I would I can't imagine having men in those positions within my businesses. So hopefully we'll cover that a little bit today as well. <laughs> so tell me a bit about your story. For everybody in the UAE that may not have heard of you before, how did this incredible journey start?
0: What I really feel very strongly is that my childhood experiences have made me who I am and who I want to be. Um, I was an unaccompanied child refugee at the age of five, um, part of the kinder transport out of uh, Europe from the Nazi regime, um, arriving in England in July 1939. And that was one of 10,000 children aged five to 16. And um, we traveled on trains with about a thousand children on a train with just two adults. So you can imagine the sort of bedlam. It was organized in that we all had labels around our necks so that we got to the right foster parents when we eventually arrived. And I was very lucky. I was fostered by uh, a lovely, loving couple uh, in the Midlands of England and had a very good childhood with them. But that start has made me um, absolutely uh, resilient to change. Nothing that can happen is it compares in gravity with 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 the change when I went to a new country, new parents, new food, new language, new everything, and the the way in which I've developed means that. Change is important to me. I try to drive change. uh, I'm in the computing industry or was in the computing industry, and that is always changing. And uh, nothing. I don't keep up to date anymore, really. But um, the other thing it made me realise is when I arrived in England, a lot of people said to me, rather foolishly, I think, to a six-year-old, um, aren't you lucky to be saved, aren't you lucky to be saved? And indeed I was. Um, but the fact remains that it's not a healthy thing to say to a young child and it left me with this need to justify my own existence, the fact that I was changed, I was saved and, and one and a half million people, children died at, at, at that time. Oh, dear, it was a difficult time. It also made me into a um, a patriot. I mean, I love England um, with a passion that perhaps only someone who had lost their, their human rights can feel. And so that, that those two and a half days from Vienna to Liverpool Street Station in London have, have made the whole of my life. And, Spencer, it, that is as strong today as, and active um, as it has ever been. I, I still feel I need to... I don't fritter my time away. I, I do something worthwhile each day um, and I w- I need to feel that my life has meaning and it has given me meaning, actually. I'm now a very happy person.
1: When did... When you look back, you know, lots of people have experienced some form of trauma in their life and that trauma has given them a kind of uh, a catapult to go forward and do something to push against it. So something simple like, you know, I experienced um, bullying at school and these two boys at school, Justin Zimmerman and Paul Fowler, look, I remember them. them. Yes. Exactly. Blonde hair, Justin, Paul had red hair. Okay. Were bullies and they were mean to me. And for 25 years, everything I
0: did... Was death on show them. Exactly.
1: Everything. And... I, I, so I look at that, that situation and I'm extremely grateful to them for this day for allowing that to happen to my life.
0: But that means that's because you've thrived, you haven't let it get you down because it, it could, could actually ruin your, your whole life. Of course, I agree. It worked for me. But when you said, people
1: said that you were lucky mm. and that feeling that it gave you, did you feel like you had something to prove?
0: Indeed, I did. I mean, I, I just have to prove that my, my place in the world is, is, is for me. There is room for me that I was worth saving. And, you know, people ask this this um, classic question about what would you have on your tombstone um, if we still had tombstones. Um, and I always sort of say she was worth saving. And that's still, at 89, so 85 years later, um, still pretty strong.
1: That's awesome. Okay. now you've got a loving family, so you've got some support after you've settled here. these people care about you. Did, did you get to a place with them when you really thought they were your family? or was there times or was there never a time that you thought they really are my family?
0: No, I, I knew my birth parents were alive um, and we were in contact at some stage. Um, but I am their child in all but births. And um, I looked after them in their old age and um, I loved them dearly and I still miss uncle in particular. They were an interesting couple, um, quite um, conventional, so most unusual that they should uh, offer to foster two Jewish children because my sister was with me and I was lucky that she was with me all the time. She was older than I was, so she had the responsibility for me. But auntie and uncle were auntie was a bit of a flibbertigibbet <laughs> uncle was in business called the managing director in those days of a small engineering company in which he'd started as a, as an apprentice often wonder did something rub off on me because my birth family has certainly were not in business at all um, and and i think may, maybe it did but i was not conscious of it uncle never spoke about work when he came home um, but it obviously was important to him and he obviously enjoyed it and that's something that I've picked up I love my work I love it to me it, it, it it's what I want to do there's nothing that compares us that I want to do more than work and other people look at that and sort of say well workaholic is um, unfashionable these days you're supposed to have work-life balance well I've never had work-life balance have you? No.
1: No. <laughs> I don't even know what it means. When people talk about it, it seems a little bit gobbledygook to me. When but when you think back there's the, there's the Second World War has taken place. Everyone has essentially sleeves rolled up for the war effort. So that that time people were all working really hard. Then the war ends. Was there a period of time after the Second World War where, where People started to think about living life a bit more calmly.
0: Not at the time. No, it was still quite tough. I mean, we had uh, rationing. (coughs) Excuse me. We had rationing for for quite a few years after the end of the war, and Europe was decimated. Um, I mean, I was my father was working in Germany, so I went back to Germany several times, and it was. It looks like Ukraine looks in the pictures that we see. Um, it was all the infrastructure had gone, no water, no electricity, no gas, no power, no food. Um, it was um, it was quite made quite an impression on me. I was there as the family of American soldier. Um, and I was one of the haves rather than the have-nots. And I always remember that feeling when you suddenly you were the one. It had. And I think it gave me this feeling that you, you have to share what you've got. Um, it's not enough just to make yourself comfortable and eat and drink and sleep. Um, I, uh, I think some of my moral compass comes from those experiences, which were in my teens.
1: Hmm. You've, you've had an extraordinary life in business and you've made some unusual decisions. Should we say, along the way. And those unusual decisions for for great reasons, but unusual decisions. And for me, you know, when when I when I've when I've explained who you are to the last 25, 30 people that I've spoken to about you over the course of the last two or three weeks, if we've been organizing Mm -hmm. you to come on the show, I explain, and I, I explain briefly who you are. And one of the parts that I explain is that. You built a company, created enormous wealth and decided to give it away. And the response to me saying that to everybody is along the lines of, why would you do that? And I was really
0: interested.
1: Why would you not do that? We're going to be on the same page shortly. But for me, it was like, I was really interested in the fact that they all looked at me that way. Everyone was like... But she kept some of it, right? Yeah. You know, that, that was the, the response. She, she didn't give it all away. And I'm like, well, do you understand the reason why? And they're, they're, the response is almost there can't be a reason why. How extraordinary, yes. And so that for me is fascinating as part I of the I think the
0: motivation of people going into business is very often financial. And it's not a good motivation. I think you need far more than the the desire to to make some wealth or to get out of poverty, even if it's not wealthy. Um, I knew that education was the only way out of poverty. And um, I love to learn. I love to do new things. I love to make new things happen. And business actually suited me very well, but it was very modest. I mean, you talk about the hockey stick uh, progression, but it was 25 years before we paid a dividend. 25 years, these long time scales. And most of the things that I've done have taken 13 years, 11 years, 17 years um, in, in parallel, obviously, because that's another thing that I think entrepreneurs do. We, we, ha- we have several aims simultaneously. So at one time, I was really aiming to make some money. I, I was also aiming to um, act as a role model for women, to um, enter into a computer field where software was given away free with the hardware and actually make a business out of something that was free, um, people laughed at me, and I, I'm, I'm quite proud. I don't like being laughed at. Um, it, it's. I've, I'm conscious that I'm so very different to most business people that I know. There is a small group of people that I've got to know over the years, and we all know each other, because we have slightly different compasses that we're, we're, we're driving the business by. In my case, it was very much something for women. I had been, I'd been sick and tired of being patronized as a Jew. I was sick and tired of being patronized as a woman and eventually decided I was, I was going to set up a company that was um, the sort of company that I would like to work with. Uh, the sort of company that other women would like to work with. Okay, well, I'll make it all for women. And for 13 years, it was predominantly women. There were no men recruited. One or two crept in unnoticed, Mm. (laughs) unannounced. Um, And it it was a, a campaign to show that women were equal to men uh, this was at a time when women were not allowed, for example, to serve on the stock exchange, not allowed in the army, not allowed to drive a bus, fly an aeroplane. I wasn't even a- able to open my company's bank account without my husband's authorization. And you know, this was 1962, goes back a bit, um, but I've I've enjoyed my business life and. Um, I've changed a lot over the years, and I look back at some of the things that I did and think, what was I thinking of? (laughs) Um, But they were all very innovative. We moved payroll to purchase ledger, for example. Mm -hmm. Um, We moved – we had everybody working from home, so our fixed costs were down. We geared payments to our consultants, by to payments from the customers, all this sort of gearing. These were all new things that I dreamt up myself. Um, maybe I saw somebody else doing it. If I see a good idea, I will pick it up. Uh, I, I want that. I want to do that. I, I can do that.
1: Um, Some people call it matching. Some people call it stealing. I don't care if it's a good idea. It's a good it's idea. It's a good idea. It's a good idea.
0: <laughs> take, yeah. take, take
1: me back a little bit because there's an, there's an entrepreneur in you, and everything you're explaining here shows shows a, a creativity that um, that you're pioneering different things. I mean, I, I must think that you wanted to set a business up for women that supported women it's a big back start. in those that's 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 at a time where that just didn't happen yeah. you know you must have you yeah. know ruffled a few few feathers so what I want to try and understand is how you started to think like that what it was that got you to 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 really start focusing on these areas because you're you're a young lady you're going through your teenage years you're not an entrepreneur at that point okay becoming an entrepreneur is um is a brave and courageous thing to do today
0: well the first time that somebody called me an entrepreneur i didn't know what the word meant (laughs) i thought they were being rude about something You know, (laughs) but i had that resilience that comes from my childhood and i think that helps very much because so many things go wrong and you've got to adapt and modify the whole time you can never really sit back i can remember one christmas um, saying to family friends, oh, the company's really, I mean, she, she was a, my company secretary. It wasn't just a friendship. Um, oh, we're really, we're going now. We're beginning to fly. And by January, I'd got a breakaway group, and, and the whole thing was going down the tubes unless I did something fairly radical. Um, so it, it's been up and down. It's a roller coaster, really. Um, what happened when? The legislation meant that we could, it was it became illegal to employ only women. Uh, we or even have positive discrimination for women. Um, then the men started coming in, and people always ask, you know, what was that like? Well, the first few were coming in for all the wrong reasons um, and were not very successful. But we eventually found we attracted people of both genders, who wanted to work in a collegiate way, who liked to work in teams, who were not um, elbowing each other aside all the time, uh, and were learning from each other. And so I th- think that the, company as a, the company as a whole became um, entrepreneurial. Uh, it was difficult at times to sort of hold it back and stop it dashing off in all directions. Because I have learned that focus is so, so important. And I don't naturally focus. As soon as something started, I would really like to back away. And as an entrepreneur, you have to sort of stick with it and get it operational. It's very, you know, people muddle up creativity and innovation. Um, Creativity, it's quite easy to think of a new idea. Um, but to make it into something commercially viable, that really is quite a different role and quite different skills. I wanted at one time to go and to – we didn't have MBAs in Britain at the time. Um, so I wanted to go to America to go and take an MBA because that's obviously what I needed to give myself con- confidence in, in business. Um but I discovered that they only took women in pairs. No. That was Harvard Business School at that time. It goes back a bit. I mean, it's a long time ago now. I've been in business six year, 60 years.
1: That's fascinating when you think about that, isn't it? These yeah. things that were just the norm all those years That's ago right. that people didn't think twice. Women in pairs. So you could go with your sister
0: or your best friend. Well, you could go or two students together. I think they were going to share rooms or something like that. Okay. Something probably very practical. But it just put me off. Lord, I
1: <laughs> Why did you choose computing?
0: Oh, well, I was going to be the world's greatest mathematician. Um, I was introduced to mathematics or arithmetic. Uh, in primary school and loved it, and then had to struggle to be taught mathematics because unisex schools that I attended um, just were not used to teaching science to to girl to girls I think the only science thought respectable was was, was botany um, <laughs> so i i struggled to to get mathematics and Started off as a maths degree, but I soon realised that I hadn't got it in me. In fact, to be a great mathematician that was going to solve Fermat's Last Theorem, which is where I'd set my target on. It took another forty years to solve that theorem, um, and. I think I would have been lost had not the computer industry come along. And so suddenly I switched from being, trying to be an incompetent mathematician um, to actually um, moving into the computing industry. It was new. It was brand new. There weren't many women around, but so what? It, it didn't matter. It was all novel and interesting. And um, it's there that I was able to make some, some impact.
1: And when you first looked at that as an industry, most people at the beginning of that that era wouldn't have picked it up and gone right. There's an opportunity, and most people would have said, typically, that won't work or that won't be of any great value, or we're we're good enough with our paper ledgers as it is. So well, I,
0: I was the founder funder of the Oxford Internet Institute, which uh, was at a t- it was 2001, uh, which was at a time when the internet was. Um, People wondered whether it was here to stay. Yeah, I mean now it's it's just so different.
1: So you get into this computer industry, you see the opportunity. You're like, right, there's an opportunity here. I'm going to get into that, and that's how I'm going to that's how I'm going to build a business. Were you really interested in computers, or were you more interested in business and computers were the commodity? I was interested
0: in computers. How, how wonderful to be paid so well, or earned so well um, from something as interesting as, as writing software. I, I just loved it. And I would still be attracted, I think, to that sort of detailed, um, creative, dynamic industry where you know what I'm doing today is up to is out of date already tomorrow, and, and we're so lucky if we, we're in that sort of situation. Mm. As with media, we all are.
1: It's moving so quickly, mm. so quickly, scary. Um the AI, which is, you know, yeah. the the new one we're half a champion in and half a terrified of. And yeah. you know, that's going to that's evolving in over days, isn't it? Yes. Very quickly as well. Okay. So an entrepreneur is somebody that that starts a business and grows the business. Your excitement was in to get in there, get it set up and get going and, and move away. Is that I would exciting?
0: always choose to move away once it was established. But It took me 25 years to leave my company. (laughs) Um, But I did eventually um, get out very happily. Um, But why did it
1: take 25? If your your theory was get in there, get it set up, get the right people in. Clearly you're adept at getting the right people into business and stepping away. Why did then that take 25 years for you um, to, 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 to find a way to move out?
0: Well, I obviously wasn't as clever as you 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 give me credit for um the the fact is that it, I had no capital at all to start with mm-hmm. um and it took me a long time to discover what running a business really meant. I mean I hadn't got the basics of um, I can remember the, the sort of records I kept in the first couple of years uh, using a notebook and on one side on going forward um I put in all the money that we'd earned and on the, the reversing it on the, Uh, On the reverse side, I'd put in all the money that we'd spent and then I expected the accountants to sort of sort it out at the end of the year. And, I mean, they were shocked and horrified because it was already getting quite voluminous. Um, (laughs) But, I mean, I was absolutely green and it took me a long, long time. Um, I was scared of the money boys um, because I didn't want it to become a a profit-driven or profit-motivated organisation. I wanted this campaign for women to show that we could uh, really be up with the the best of them. And um, that took some time to to make those adjustments. I became a competent manager, never a brilliant manager. I'm a good director. I'm full of ideas. I'm strong on strategy. and I've got some experience now. I served as non-executive director on several uh, companies and you learn a lot by doing that. Um, but the, the, the sheer um, slog of taking the company from one si- size to another was a very slow low, slow burn. I say 25 years before we paid a dividend, but Microsoft took 10 years. Um, so it's it's... Quality companies can take time.
1: I think listening to what you've said about 25 years, the first response to people listening and for you guys watching at home right now is that, wow, that's a long time. But now you slip in, it took 10 years for Microsoft to make a profit. Is it such a long time when you think about it? Is it all about turning a business very quickly within 36 months into profit and dividend, and which so many people seem to think
0: is what you need to be doing? Well, that is the the norm nowadays Mm. that, People get raised money very early and so have to start doing their quarterly returns and stuff like that. Mm. And um, I didn't want to get involved uh, with the company really once it floated on the main stock exchange. It had a successful float. um, But the sheer way in which the company had to be driven thereafter with, as I say, these quarterly results all the time was not for me. And um, what I've done is taken my entrepreneurism into the not-for-profit sector. Mm -hmm. And I call myself a a venture philanthropist because it's not just that I'm giving to charities, but I'm creating charities. I see a problem. I see something that I think I could um, help with um, and will create a team or an entity um, I've started about seven different entities of one sort, three main charities, one charity that failed. Um, well, it didn't fail, but it closed after about seven years. Um, and you've got to be in, think long term, think of what's this going to mean to the children of the people that I'm working with today. Um, and I try to. to to be a a good person and and do good. Um, I think all entrepreneurs who move into philanthropy have the same sort of thing. We're trying to make the world a fairer place. Uh, It's it's a massive aim and and a minuscule uh, impact on it, Um, but that's what we do. What does happiness mean to you? Well, I said I'm very happy now. I I went through um, survivor guilt, um, which I've hinted at before, and was mentally ill for for a whole year. Um, But since then I have actually learned happiness. I'm very content. I live in the present. Um, I don't wish I was somebody else. I don't wish I were somewhere else. Um, I just enjoy life um, to the full. And to me that's having a, a, a purpose to my life of having it full of meaningful activity. Um, I don't have any religion, <clears throat> but I do lead a spiritual life, I think. I try to concentrate on the things that matter, um, nature, love, friendship, music, animals um, and it gives me an enormous satisfaction when i achieve something that makes a difference in those areas and it's mainly in autism of course that i've made a big impact mm.
1: um we'll talk about that in a minute let me just go back a couple of steps here you build a business for women you're an entrepreneur you've focused on growing that organization. You focused on changing the status quo, empowering women as well. Were you, as you were going through that journey, did you live in the moment then? Were you mission driven and purpose driven? And was it always about the outcome, uh, the goal that you were trying to achieve? Or was it about everyone really enjoying being part of the journey every day?
0: I think I was focused on the goals. Um, but was delighted to see that other people were enjoying the journey. I, I, there were whole years when I didn't enjoy the journey myself, but you 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 then have a responsibility to a company. You can't just walk away from it and you can't really leave it until you've got your succession sorted out. Succession, for instance, took me 11 years, three, three serious attempts um, to get somebody in to run it. Because it was so different and, and so feminine-oriented. Or oh, of course, yeah. It was
1: such a different type yes. of organisation. Different type
0: of <clears throat> organisation. So
1: 11 years for you to to step away, essentially, yes. and allow somebody... Yes. To,
0: 11 years. Yeah.
1: You, and, and has that got anything to do with your incredibly high standards, do you
0: think? Not no, some, I know some it is, of but... it was chance. I mean, the, the first appointee was an internal appointee and she, she became ill and okay. since died. Um, The second one was, again internal. That was quite successful, except that she was running it just like I did, a sort of, as a sort of spider in the middle of a, a web, which she was controlling very well. She was very good on costing. Um, but it wasn't what the company needed. And the third time I went to head, Headhunters and, and got a, an excellent woman in who was absolutely splendid. Um, sadly, she also went ill on the job and, and handed over. Um, but that's a long time to to get succession in.
1: Hmm. Let's talk about autism. Something happened in my life in 2012. Um, first, first of all, I have a, a sister, Louise, who has Asperger's, and so I was uh, fortunate enough to be able to grow up in an environment where she was around me all of the time and understood the challenges that she went through. I then go into business and... I pursue business goals and success and find great satisfaction out of doing that for a period of time. And then there came to a point where those goals started to lose their meaning mm. because other things had started to present themselves to me that just mattered
0: more. more. <laughs> and so... <coughs> Sorry. Sorry.
1: So I made a documentary on human trafficking where I follow the journey of three heroes, three ladies that stood up to their oppressors or wanted to solve a problem and went on to do remarkable things. The beneficiaries, the children of these, this remarkable work these ladies did uh, had such an imprint on my heart
0: there's quite something that you would choose to do that rather than shy away from it.
1: Yeah, but these kids have had such an impact on my heart that I see lots of stuff that I found great meaning in in my early years as having such little meaning now when there's so many more kind of like important things yeah. to focus on. And so... It's changed how I think about the world. You know, you took a number of years for succession. I took a period of time and then my, my businesses have been handed over. Um, and I care more every day for, from a, from two really important perspectives. Number one, these these kids need help and they need support and I care about that. But number two, gratitude was something that I used to laugh at. It wasn't something I consciously sat down and said I need to focus on being grateful until I needed to be grateful to deal with my mental health challenges. The suffering of these kids and the joy that they bring to me whenever I'm with them are like an injection in my arm.
0: But then this is it. It is so joyful to be with them.
1: It's the greatest drug on the planet. I have a week. I see them every weekend. We go for something to eat, a cup of tea, whatever, and I'm with them. That goes in my arm and then for the rest of the week I'm fire charged yeah. and that gratitude I have really matters to me, okay, and and I'm very grateful that that. And it's like everything else, not everything else, but many other things are just so insignificant.
0: Gratitude is is a, is a, a, a difficult emotion in that I work very hard so that the beneficiaries of my giving do not feel gratitude to me. It, it It's a, a balanced relationship. Um, and when I get that right again, there's so much joy in seeing what you've done. But nobody is is in the red.
1: Yeah, I understand that. Their gratitude towards me, I never think about. No. My gratitude towards them um, for allowing me we, to be part of their outside. world and and to for me to just be able to do what I do is is it makes me very emotional because yes. and th- those emotions that I get. Um, a, a deep meaningful emotions whereas the emotions that i i experienced before in business didn't yeah have well one is
0: always developing i mean the things yeah. that you did yesterday look so trivial so so simple
1: uh, very well put so tell me how how autism has played a role in your life and the work that you've done to to help and and um develop what has happened to people that have been suffering from autism over the years
0: Well, my work from autism stems entirely from the fact that our only child turned out to be autistic and learning disabled and lost his speech at the age of about two and a half. So he lost the little speech that he had and over a period of days, maybe a week, um, turned into a wild, unmanageable toddler and uh, it went on from there just worse and worse, I suppose um when he was 13 uh, i broke down i uh, couldn't manage anymore um he went into hospital an asylum really um and uh, i went to hospital for a year so when i came out um it began to make more sense to me i i, I realized i couldn't help my son His name is Giles, was Giles. Um, I I couldn't help Giles by looking after him anymore, but what the other things that I could do. And so I started um, a charity that um, pioneers good services for autistic adults. Giles was the first resident in the first home of that first charity, and that seemed to me Very appropriate. I feel very good about that. I feel very sentimental. Not very sentimental. I feel sentimental about that charity because I've been in there so close. I chaired it for many years um, and then backed off from that. And after he died, um, I uh, walked away completely effectively. I still help them from time to time. Then I started thinking, well, if Giles had had better schooling... And he didn't have bad schooling, but long periods without schooling, um, maybe he wouldn't have been so difficult. Maybe he would have been happier, more content, easier. Um, and every parent just wants their children to be happy. So that, that happiness aim is is quite a significant one. So I set up a school. Um, and. Uh, that took me um, five years, um, and again I, I stayed with it until it was sustainable, managerially and financially independent of me, um, and, and then I walked away. And now I, I happen to be going there next week, but I haven't been for I haven't been this year, so it's month, month six we're in June. Um, so it's, it, again, it's, it's become a relationship where I just think I'm lucky to be able to contribute um, to that school and it makes me enormously happy. It has a wonderful atmosphere as you just walk in through the gates. It's um, d- d- not without problems. Mm-hmm. Um, it has the, the, the normal... It's a £20 million um, b- business and it has to be run like a business and in a business-like way. But um, I get a lot of... A lot of kicks out of that, I really do. Then I started thinking, well, well, long-term, what really is matter? What's really going to be the matter? Ah, research. So I set up a research charity, and that took three names. It's quite difficult to name a charity or difficult to name a company. Um, Three names before we settled on Autistica, and Autistica funds and campaigns for medical research. And that is the most strategic of the lot. Um, it um, employs about 24 staff and is un- unlikely to get big. But all, all three charities together employ a 1,000 staff. So the, the school and the care charity employ 600 and 300 people, respectively. Um, so I keep a busy, busy active life and... Um, Looking at proposals, um, I give speeches, prepared speeches. Uh, I do podcasts, whoop, uh, whoop. <laughs> <laughs> and lead lead what, what to me is a very fulfilled life. That I, 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 I've got something to wake up for each morning. Most people, women my age, are, are really wasting their time now, um, and I'm not. I've still got things to do, projects to finish, jobs to do. Who inspires you? The classic people, um, spiritually, Nelson Mandela for his forgiveness, St. Teresa for her love. Really people like that. Um, partly it sort of acts as a role model Um I didn't have a, a role model until I was in quite developed in my career and I came across a guy called Tommy Flowers who uh, was very important in the early computer industry and I worked in his division at one time. So I knew him and he knew me. Good morning, Miss Brooke. Good morning, Mr Flowers. And that was the length of depth of our Uh, relationship Um, but he he was one of the people that I thought if I could be a manager as good as he because he was steady, he was non-sexist because I was so used to sexism um, that was really his name and he has inspired me.
1: Interesting. Can we talk about sales? Well. I'd like to ask you a few questions about sales and the importance of sales in business and why salespeople seem to be the ones that are frowned upon uh, in business and industry however they play such a key role in revenue coming through the doors
0: well they're the only thing I mean I've always sold myself out of problems if, if the companies in dire need I just go out and sell madly until I'd got enough income coming in um and I it's it's almost instinctive. It's, without sales, nothing happens. And some people don't realise that. So why do people not like salespeople? Oh, because we tend to be brash and self-opinionated.
1: <laughs> <laughs> people will know this story, but I'm going to share it with you anyway. When I was working in London and I was 20 years old, I walked into a bar on a Friday night with two of my colleagues, have a beer um in the city and EC3 was the patch and there was this beautiful girl and she had a brown bob big brown eyes stunning everything I could ever dream a woman should look like she looked like and I looked at her and my immediate brain space was out of my league (laughs) which is fair enough yeah there wasn't an opportunity to do any online dating back then it was like you're gonna have to get the courage and you're gonna have to introduce yourself and you know what I mean so I had a couple of glasses of wine. And then after the third glass of wine, my friends were like, Why don't you just go say hi?
0: Hmm.
1: <laughs> so eventually I did. I, I I walked over, I said, Hi, my name's Spencer. She said, Why why have you taken three hours to come and oh, talk to me?
0: <laughs> lovely.
1: <laughs> I'm like, What do you mean? She goes, You've been staring at me for three hours. You could have come and said <laughs> hi earlier on. <laughs> so the, the the kind of ice was broken a little bit. Yes. I asked her what she did for a living. She said that she was working for an architectural firm. Uh, she was a PA at one of those companies and um, in, 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 in West London. She told me about her mum and her dad, her family, brothers and sisters. And so I kind of got to know her a bit. And then she says to me, what do you do? I said, I'm a salesman. <laughs> that was a very similar response. So she went, oh, a salesman. Yes.
0: You like, um, have a bad reputation. Yeah,
1: As I, said, I said. Well, what were you looking for? She said, "I don't know, an investment banker, an engineer, a doctor, somebody, a pilot, somebody." And I'm like,
0: "Somebody." The sales are all.
1: Starts. And in that moment, I was I was offended, and so I said the following. And her name's Sarah Newton, and I'll never forget her. She had an impact on my life. We d- we dated for two years, yes. and so so she she came into my life. Anyway. I said, so you work for this architectural firm. I said, does your company need clients? She said, well, of course. I said, are there people in the company that go and find those clients for the business? She's like, yeah. yeah
0: I said, the and source. if they,
1: yeah, and if they didn't bring clients to the business, would the, would the business have any revenue? She was like, probably not. I said, and how would you have a job?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And she stops. I said, well, be so very, very, very careful when you judge a salesperson, because invariably there's, they, they go through emotions you don't go through. They have to deal with rejection yeah. almost daily. They have highs and lows because some of them are not salary-based, they're commission-based. They have to still put the roof over the head, pay the mortgage, pay the school fees, pay for the car and everything else that goes with it. And they're dealing with all of these things. And so when you Think lowly of salespeople. Remember, they have all of these challenges, plus they're responsible for bringing the money through the door that pays your salary. Now, what do you think about salespeople?
0: And what was her response? Point taken. <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: and so in that in that moment, though, it, I I got to this place in my brain where I was like, we need to defend. And promote and 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 encourage what being a, the value of being a great salesperson is. And yes, of course, some of them are brash and some of them are bad. But there's bad lawyers, there's bad mm-hmm. doctors, there's bad in every industry. So, or every profession. Sorry. So. Maybe
0: they don't make good husband material.
1: Ooh, what makes you say that?
0: <laughs> because they're traveling their way, they're staying in hotels, they're subject to temptation.
1: Oh, okay. <laughs> Not all salespeople travel. I, I was working in the city. My patch was EC3.
0: You could walk around the site.
1: I wasn't allowed even to cross the road to EC2 no, or EC4. No. It was like that was that was my my territory. Banks, insurance companies, that that, that yeah. was my territory. But anyway, yeah. So I, I just wanted to thank you for giving me the support on that. Okay. Dame Stephanie Real Shirley supports salespeople. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> A couple of questions before we finish. You've had this incredible career and you've worked from from what I've taken from this conversation, a point to prove, but somebody that's gone out and you've pioneered in such an extremely strong way that that resistance you must have got along the way from various different people. Did it make you kind of like more stubborn? I'm going to prove you wrong no matter what from those people that push back against you? Or did you have empathy for them because they just didn't understand?
0: No, it made me more stubborn. You hit, hit it on the the nail on the head. Was determined to prove myself. Um, determined to sh- show them wrong. I determined to fight for other women because after a bit I had it quite easy because I was reasonably successful and people respected that Um, but other women I mean I still work quite a lot with women's organizations getting women into women in the city women in technology Um, I started women in technology um, about 30 years ago Um, just organizations to help with the training of women to get them into the computing industry at the moment I'm funding a small project in for the Wacowska Charity in Poland, um, and that is had the first cohort was ten women, uh, the second cohort is twenty three, and that's teaching Ukraine refugees um, to program and learn to work, provide computer services from home. So it's a wonderful way to train migrant women. And I get enormous satisfaction out of a small project like that. My biggest project was, you know, 30 million, which was the school. Um, But uh, the Wachowskis, you just feel it's appropriate. It's um, it's to do with refugees. It's Ukraine. It's topical. Um, How could I say no when they asked for support?
1: Are you one of these people that, when it comes to these types of projects are ruled by your heart. Oh, of course I am. And you're such a... It's almost like (laughs) you're a a sucker.
0: Press the right buttons. And
1: And once people... Keep them guarded, but once people have found those buttons, then they know how to work you.
0: (laughs) Well, a lot of people approached me for learning disability, and at one time autism was indistinguishable from learning disability, and that was how it was. But that's not the case now. And uh, I know that they're always trying to, say, get me interested in, in things like that. Um, I, I'm doing another project at the National Museum of Computing, um, which is, again, for autism. It doesn't sound very pioneering because what, what I decided to do in, in my charities um, was to concentrate on Pioneering stuff, um, not more of the same, no matter how worthy it might be. Um, Strategic, something that if it succeeded, and and not all projects succeed, if it succeeded would make a real difference (laughs) in in time. Um, And um, I sort of stuck to that pretty firmly. So now I, I support quite a lot of information technology stuff, um, autism, little bit on refugees. For example, the Austrian government, sorry, the German government has paid restitution um, to kindertransportees like me um, and has made three payments in the last 10 years. Um, and um, I'm no, no longer in need. So I pass those payments straight through to a charity called Safe Passage, which looks after today's European child refugees. To me, that's always very appropriate. That's that's where the money should go. It's it's right and proper. And I like this feeling of of getting it right, of of it's right and proper. Uh, I know the difference between right and wrong, and it drives my life quite strongly.
1: The the learning I had around money was pursuing money once you had enough you didn't really need any more and it was only an ego play unless you put it to good use yeah.
0: that's a nice way of putting it
1: okay good so we're on the same page I I don't need any more money and so people are saying well, what are you trying to achieve what do you want more I, I, I don't I don't need money and so but what what changed for me is where I would spend money on stuff. Stuff or something. Yeah. I now have such a worthy cause over here with the, these children that have been. I, I don't want to
0: spend money on that because I want to give it to the charity.
1: I'm going to tell. i want to tell you something. I, like this is really ridiculous. Okay, I have always had a new car every year or every couple of years. Okay, the car I have right now I've had for ten years, and my wife is like, "Please, can you get a new, new car? car? Yeah," and so I'm like, "But my car's fine." She's mm. like, "It's ten years old. It's done two hundred thousand kilometers. Go and buy a new car." Every time I go anywhere near a car dealership, or I'm like, yeah, but that money could be spent That's on right. the on the. It's yes. like I don't need it, mm-hmm. and then I talk to my car, and I'm like, come on, boy, we could yeah, we've we got know, a, we've we, got we, some more time together, you know. <laughs> I do that quite often, and it's just like the purpose of money is 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 not to c- c- continually consume. Okay,
0: I think the consumer society really is. Not evil, that's not the right word, but it's obscene. Do you know how much handbags cost? I I have. Designed. (laughs) I went to one in Bond, window, saw a lovely red handbag in Bond Street, and went in and said, I like that handbag in the window, how much is it? And it was hundreds of pounds. No, no, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) My, my, my.
1: And it's interesting. People that my wife comes from a very wealthy family, and they're 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 that um, eases I, things for you. No, well, no, it doesn't actually. It, it makes, makes it you worse. Mean more. So she's from Uzbekistan. She's Armenian, and her grandfather was the guy that took Pepsi Cola to the Soviet uh-huh. Union in the seventies. So the family made a lot of money, very successful, a lot of money. Yeah, uh, your kind of territory. And so she's been brought up in an environment where everything's possible uh allowances benefits gifts whatever it might be and so she she's never struggled and fought for anything
0: but she misses a lot of pleasure
1: but doesn't understand that because she pushes back against where i'm demonstrating the real joy in life Mm. is coming from because she's so indoctrinated into this consumer culture behavior that she doesn't know any different and again she'll go and buy something i'm like how much was that <laughs> she's like none of your business. I don't know, but how much was it? <laughs> and, uh, she'll, she'll buy a handbag, and you say hundreds. I say thousands, and I'm like, you realize what that money could be used yeah. for?
0: Do you really need a new yeah. handbag? I, I see everything in terms of this would s- sponsor a place in, in in one of my charities for a year. I see
1: it. That's it exactly where I sit.
0: This, how, do, this, how do we? This how would. How do, I I don't know, but. It's the the greatest pleasure in life I have is in giving. The
1: greatest pleasure you have in life is giving. Yes. What a great sentence and statement to finish on. Dame Stephanie Shirley, thank you so much for coming to join us today. It's been a great
0: pleasure, really. I wasn't expecting it to be a pleasure.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm glad you got something from it.